Hello, folks. Thank you for tuning in to the Federalist Files. On today's show, we're going to be covering Federalist number 53. The same subject continued. The House of Representatives, written by James Madison, February 9th, 1788. Topics include only the people can alter the Constitution. The thirst for liberty will always fight against the hunger for power. Annual terms far too short to gain the uh, knowledge necessary. So in this one, he continues Madison to defend his position of biennial elections or biennial terms every single two years in the House of Representatives, having two-year terms. He continues to defend it, and he shoots down the idea of having these uh, these terms, These I think it's every four years. I'm sorry, every uh, year terms, annual terms, which is an idea, I think, of the Anti-Federalists. So, he starts off, uh, he defends the provision of uh, biennial elections for federal representatives rather than annual elections. Although Madison does agree that annual elections defend against tyranny, he believes that they are ineffectual in this case because it would be difficult to gain knowledge in terms of one year, and additionally, it is impractical. So he, he states, he starts up, and I quote, I shall here perhaps be reminded of a current observation that where annual elections end, tyranny begins. If it be true, as has often been remarked, that sayings which become proverbial are generally founded in reason, it is not less true that when once established, they are often applied to cases to which the reason of them does not extend. So he plays a little word soup on that. So what he says is, he says, uh, you know, a true something that's true can be remarked. Uh, it's it's generally founded upon reason, but it is not less true that once it's established, if you extend that exact, or or rather, you. I always get this word mixed up with capitulate, but you extend the meaning of the word out to a way in which it just does not cover. It's like saying in the game of baseball. Being a good pitcher also means that you're also going to be a good quarterback in the NFL, which just is not true. So so a guy, I guess, like Mariano Rivera was uh, the greatest closer of all time, 100% voted into the Hall of Fame. Mariano Rivera, if he was, he was a great relief pitcher, he was a great pitcher, he could throw well, which automatically means he'd be a great uh, quarterback. That just is not true. And that's, that's kind of what he's trying to say is they're trying to take a theory or a, uh, a principle and apply it to something where it's not applicable. So additionally, uh, Madison, he asserts that tyranny comes in all term durations. To this he states, and I quote, no man will subject himself to the ridicule of pretending that any natural connection subsists between the sun or the seasons and the period within which human virtue can bear the temptations of power. Happily for mankind, liberty is not, in this respect, confined to any single point of time, but lies within extremes, which affords sufficient latitude for all the vacation variations which may be required by the various situations and circumstances of society, end quote. So he says, more importantly, it has uh, nothing to do, and he talks about the uh, tyranny does not, what does he say? Pretending natural connections, so, so meaning uh, the sun or the seasons is not what predicts tyranny or what predicts oppressive uh, regimes, but rather it is 
the liberty or the uh, allowance thereof or the way in which the constitution and the governing document is written and what pr on what principles it lies which is much more important uh, than any type of term which which makes sense uh, it's a very valid argument so what does he say next so next he starts to talk about magistrates which is interesting so he goes he states and i quote the election of magistrates might be if it were found expedient as in some instances it actually has been daily weekly or monthly as well as annual and if circumstances may require a deviation from the rule on one side why not also on the other side turning our attention to the periods established among ourselves for the election of the most numerous branches of the state legislatures we find them by no means coinciding any more in this instance than in the elections of our of other civil magistrates. End quote. So what he says, and he makes this is this is the argument that you make for the minimum wage. You make the same argument when you say, okay, oh, you think the minimum wage is fifteen dollars? It should be fifteen dollars an hour. Why not a hundred? Why not thirty? Why not forty? Why not? Why not one thousand dollars an hour? What he's saying is, okay, so if you want short. Uh, elections, if you want these short time periods, these really short frames, why not a day? Why not weekly? Why not monthly? If we're going to go with uh, such a short duration of time, because it's been done before, it's been done in specific state legislatures, why don't we have it set up that way instead? Um, but the, the real key is, and then he talks about civil magistrate. He says that because the people that were uh, objecting to what he was saying here they were mostly of the state power the state legislatures they were much more about the state authority and they know that it would be uh, futile if they had their own their own terms were days or, or weeks or months so madison he starts to give examples of specific different states on the way in which they handled their uh their terms so in Connecticut and Rhode Island, the periods are half yearly, so every six months. In the other states, South Carolina expected, they are accepted, I'm sorry, they are annual. In South Carolina, they are biennial, as is proposed in the federal government. So the proposed constitution is a, a two-year, like South Carolina. Here's the difference as four to one between the longest and shortest periods, and yet it would be not easy to show that Connecticut or Rhode Island is better governed or enjoys a greater share of rational liberty than South Carolina, or that either the one or the other of these states is distinguished in these respects, and by these causes from the states whose elections are different from both. So he takes his time, and, and as he was talking about the state legislatures before, he takes his time now to compare the state legislatures to the federal government. So he says, well, okay, so the state legislature of Connecticut and Rhode Island, they do it every single six-month terms in their state legislature. And South Carolina, they do it every two years as proposed in our Constitution that we're pushing right now. Uh, has there been any difference in levels or degrees of liberty? And the answer is it's been the same in in all these different states, even though South Carolina has a longer period in terms uh, than Connecticut and Rhode Island do. So in other words, the term of office, whether short or long, doesn't completely safeguard the people from tyranny, but the good news is a thirst for liberty always exists, and hopefully the fight for freedom will always overcome the temptation of power, another important distinction Madison alludes to. So next is what he this is what he states, and this is a, a very profound quote. He states, and I quote, 
A constitution established by the people and unalterable by the government and a law established by the government and unalterable by the government seems to have been little understood and less observed in any other country. End quote. So what he's saying is there's specific... Uh, these people, they established the constitution... And they're the ones that essentially are able to alter certain specific aspects uh, of the Constitution. And then he, he says a law, a law that is established by the government and alterable by the government uh, is a totally different law. So, so I guess you have a different, he has a different view on what constitutional amendments are, what constitutional values and, and principles and laws are comparatively to stupid little like hey you don't walk inside the jaywalking line very simple things so in some way he you know what actually i don't even know if he actually specifically draws the, the distinction but he's saying it's been little understood and less observed in any other country so he's saying in our our country we understand that the people themselves are the ones that establish the constitution and it is unalterable by the government and then there's certain laws that are established by the government and alterable by the government. And that, that case uh, was going on in Europe. And I think that's what he's kind of alluding to here. But I do think it's very, very profound, meaning it is the self-government uh, quote, is to establish that the people themselves are the ones that create the government which is very important. And there's certain fundamental values and principles, there's certain fundamental rights that they have that are unalterable by the government. So the government cannot take them away from you. Uh, the unalienable rights bestowed upon you by your creator, not by the government. So in summation, the people established the Constitution and they are the means to alter that Constitution, not the government. A concept that has not been often been observed in any other country, but will be in America. And then he goes on to list some examples. Uh, he continues by listing Great Britain as one of the examples that have abused their powers and altered their government through legislative acts, moving term limits with no check on their power. So I guess that is what he was uh, alluding to. Now he states next, and I quote, Wherever the supreme power of legislation has resided, has been supposed to reside also a full power to change the form of the government, even in Great Britain, where the principles of political and civil liberty have been most discussed and where we hear most of the rights of the Constitution. It is maintained that the authority of the Parliament is transcendent and uncontrollable as well with regard to the Constitution as the ordinary objects of legislative provision, end quote. So he's saying wherever you give the power of this legislation, a lot of the times it ends up becoming, I guess you would call it tyrannical, and they now have the full power to change uh, the form of government. And, and what he means is when you say so, so, the way in which we alter the Constitution, uh, we amend the Constitution, you say the government has to amend it, they have to hold a vote, uh, it has to be done that way, that's the specific way that it's supposed to be done, right? So, what he's referring to is this self-government system is, it's not implemented, I mean, it is implemented in constitutional law, but it's also implemented in just a, uh, in behavior, 
so what he's referring to is you need that two-thirds in the House and the Senate for the for a amendment to alter the Constitution. So you need those two-thirds there. But most importantly, and this is a provision that I don't know if this has ever been found in any any constitution or any governing document of any European country ever this provision until it came to the United States of America to this extent maybe something similar to it but not exactly so you need three quarters of the state legislatures as well to amend the constitution the state legislatures are the direct representatives much more than any other entity in the government they're the direct representatives of the people that is the most they are the the closest to the people they are supposed to directly represent the people's voice and that i think is what that is the provision that he's pointed to yeah technically the government can be altered uh, in certain ways certain aspects through a amendment of the constitution but it's supposed to not be from the government amending the constitution it's supposed to be the people themselves are the ones that are choosing to amend the constitution and to represent the people is the state governments if they did not have that part that specific uh, provision in the constitution then it would not be a self-government so he goes on what does he state I think, okay, so he's talking talk about Great Britain. And then he goes on to talk more and more about Great Britain. He states next, and I quote, They have accordingly in several instances actually changed by legislative acts some of the most fundamental articles of the government. They have in particular on several occasions changed the period of election and on the last occasion not only in introduced septennial in place of triennial elections, but by the same act continued themselves in place four years beyond the term for which they were elected by the people. End quote. This is very important. Uh, so, just to go off what I said before, he said that, you know, in some cases in Great Britain, the parliament, they changed it from seven years to three-year uh, terms. This is another important thing. If our federal government wanted to do that, and this is why it was important that I, uh, I mentioned the state legislative branch or the state legislatures, of each individual state if the federal government wanted to change their own terms they would have to go through they would have to alter the constitution they would have to go through every single state legislative branch to do so and that is the reason that is to show that is the extra safeguard on the federal government because how is the federal government to devise how how their position is held uh what the manner or what the the scope and the jurisdiction of their power is how is the federal government to determine how much power they have they aren't the federal government if the federal government was in charge of administering how much power they had they would give themselves as much power as they possibly could uh, that is the reason for the state legislative branch and i think now currently in our current system we do have that problem um we do have the federal government giving themselves too much power. The power is too centralized in this country, and it needs to be pushed back to the state legislative branches, to the people themselves, because that is more power in the hands of the people themselves. So Madison Nexi asserts, and I quote, An attention to these dangerous practices has produced a very natural alarm in the votaries of free government, of which frequency of elections is the cornerstone, and has led them to seek for some security to liberty against the danger to which it is exposed, where no constitution paramount to the government either existed or could be obtained, no constitutional security similar to that established in the United States was to be attempted. End quote. 
is very interesting. So, and it's very, it's an important distinction that he makes at the very end when he says, where no constitution uh, paramount to the government either existed or could be obtained. And that is the most important part. The constitution is paramount to the government. The people in the government, they do not hold the power that the constitution is supposed to hold more power than the government. That's the point of it. The government's supposed to play by the rules of the Constitution. It is like an example of when you live in your house and you're under the age of 18, when you live under in your parents' house, you live by their rules and their guidelines and their standards because you are living under their roof. That is the same case here. You do not make the rules yourself. Um, that's old school parent. Who knows how parents do it now? But years ago, that's how it was, or that's that's how it was in my family. Uh, so so specifically, the federal government they're not the, they're playing by the rules of the Constitution. They're not making the rules to the Constitution, and the Constitution are it's essentially our rules, the rules of the people. It's very important that he says that. And then he also talks about these dangerous practices. The reason that they have want to have more and more frequency of elections is because of these dangerous practices. But in an, a uh, free government, we wouldn't have to worry about having these extremely frequent elections because they would have to be governed by the the federal government would have to be governed by the constitution by the people. So I think he goes on to actually explain that part. Next, he states, and I quote, Some other security, therefore, was to be sought for. And what better security would the case admit than that of selecting and appealing to some simple and familiar portion of time as a standard for measuring the danger of innovations for fixing the national sentiment and for uniting the patriotic exertions? The most simple and familiar familiar portion of time applicable to the subject was that of a year and hence the doctrine has been inculcated by a laudable zeal to erect some barrier against the gradual innovations of an unlimited government that the advance towards tyranny was to be calculated by the distance of departure from the fixed point in annual election of annual elections end quote so everyone thinks that the further and further your elections get in terms of time, the bigger, the larger uh, increments or amounts of time between one election to the other, the further advancement you have towards tyranny. And that was the best security in the old world, in the European world, because they had the government was regulating themselves rather than the people regulating the government. So he goes on next. He states, and I quote, But what necessity can there be of applying this expedient to a government limited as the federal government will be by the authority of a paramount constitution? Or who will pretend that the liberties of the people of America will not be more secure under biennial elections, unalterable, fixed, unalterably fixed by such a constitution than those of any other nation would be where elections were annual or even more frequent but subject to alterations by the ordinary power of the government the second question stated is whether biennial elections be necessary or useful so that's what he gets to next the biennial biennial uh, elections and this is this is very important fact that he, he he once again he regurgitates that the constitution is to be paramount to the government 
once again. So the government is not the one making the rules. The Constitution is the rules, and if and it's un, in, unalterable by the federal government, which is true. It is unalterable by the federal government in which it is regulating, because the people themselves have a say. Three quarters of the state legislatures. I think a lot of the laws, a lot of the federal laws, and I think this stems to our bigger issue right now in government and federal government practice. A lot of the laws that they are attempting to pass currently are in contradiction of the of the Constitution. I think a lot of them are, and I just don't know if we, we how we let them in the 1900s get away with income tax, and that's how we're getting screwed right now. Uh, Madison claims in this excerpt that if there is no Constitution, an act of the people superseding government, there is no security, and there will be no attempts to try and establish a Constitution. Next, Madison remarks, and I quote, No man can be a competent legislator who does not add to an upright intention and a sound judgment a certain degree of knowledge of the subjects on which he is to legislate, end quote. So if you, if you want to be a legislator, you have to somewhat know or have a knowledge or a decent knowledge uh, of the subjects on which you are to legislate. And it's for for an example of this, we have a lot of Democrat Party members that talk about banning weapons, banning firearms. They know absolutely nothing about a firearm. If you ask them what an assault weapon is, uh, free-flowing, they would not. If you ask a regular liberal what is an assault rifle or what is an assault weapon, they won't be able to answer the question. They, it, most of the, the classification of what makes something an assault weapon or assault rifle is uh, cosmetic additions. Certain attachments to guns, to them in their in their opinion and law when it's written that's how it's written. If you ask them off the cuff, they will not have an answer for you because they're unaware. They know nothing. So so you're asking them that they're legislating something that they know absolutely nothing about, and that's the point that I'm trying to make. And that is the the point in the general sense is that you don't want legislators that legislate not knowing anything. And I think in today's day and age, I think. I would probably say 90% on both sides is eh, maybe 80% of legislators on both sides are completely incompetent and don't know anything about what they're legislating anymore. And that's the point is that the government shouldn't be legislating things they don't know anything about. Less regulation usually turns out to be better. And that's the reason for these biennial elections rather than annual because at least two, if you run a, a term of two years, then you have more time to learn. And that's the point that he's making. So Madison, he argues that annual elections would dismantle the ability of representatives to attain practical knowledge that is required in their service. The knowledge to be obtained is of vast proportions because the position's jurisdiction is the United States of America. It is a countrywide position dealing with many complex issues unlike that of a state official. Legislators must learn federal and state laws and circumstances, military knowledge, foreign war affairs, uh, treaties and commercial policy of other nations along with uh, depending on your specific state as well and he goes on to state all of this so he starts off and i quote a part of this knowledge may be acquired by means of information which lie within the compass of men in private as well as public stations another part can be only be a attained or at least thoroughly attained by actual experience in the station which requires the use of it the period of service ought therefore in all such cases to bear some proportion to the extent of practical knowledge requisite to the due performance of the service. Uh, 
So you should have a period of service that's long enough for you to kind of at least get a foundation of what it is that you're going to be legislating. So next he states, and I quote, The question then may be put into this simple form. Does the period of two years bear no greater proportion to the knowledge requisite for federal legislation than one year does to the knowledge requisite for state legislation? The very statement of the question in this form suggests the answer that ought to be given to it. In a single state, the requisite knowledge relates to the existing laws which are uniform throughout the state and with which all the citizens are more or less conversant and to the general affairs of the state which lie within a small compass are not very diversified and occupy much of the attention and conversation of every class of people. The great theater of the United States represents a very different scene, end quote. So in a general sense, in your specific state that you live in, you are going to, it's going to be these ideas, it's going to be these existing laws that are very conversant. People are going to talk about them, general affairs uh, in your specific state. People know specific laws. If you were to ask me, uh, what is the state sales tax in New Jersey? I think it's something like 6.625. Certain things, specific aspects like that, the people that are living in the state should already know. And if you're living in that state as a state legislator, you're hearing more and more about these different things. You're learning, you're, you're getting your bearings, you're learning more about the state law that you are to legislate. Now, if you are a federal representative, it is much more difficult because you'll know what your specific state does, but you are federal representative. You're supposed to see oversee the entire union. You're supposed to learn more and more about federal law as well uh, and foreign affairs too. So he goes on to accentuate this. He states, and I quote, the laws are so far from being uniform that they vary in every state whilst the public affairs of the union are spread throughout a very extensive region and are extremely diversified by the local affairs connected with them and can with difficulty be correctly learnt in any other place than in the central councils to which a knowledge of them will be brought by the representatives of every part of the empire, yet some knowledge of the affairs and even of the laws of all the states ought to be possessed by the members from each of the states, end quote. It's very profound here. When you go to meet, what he's saying is whenever you assemble, when the uh, Congress assembles, you talk to other representatives from specific different states and you'll learn more and more information about the entire nation, about specific regions, uh, extensive regions. And it's, that's very important. Now, do our legislators now do that? Probably not. They probably talk about how they're going to some sort of elitist dinner party after they go in for a vote. I'm sure maybe how's your family doing? They probably don't specifically say, hey, I saw what happened in your state there. What's the deal with that? How's your laws work? That's probably what's not. It's probably friendly banter. They're probably not attempting. They don't have a thirst for knowledge uh, like some Americans do. I, I definitely believe that we would be much better served if regular working class Americans were to get into government. Unfortunately, it is becoming a much more rich man's game. It is a game of who is the politically connected and who has the backing of big money. Unfortunately, I think that regular work, I'm talking plumbers, I'm talking 
uh, you know, s small business owners, I'm talking regular working class people, I think would much better serve in our government, because they would actually be interested in learning more and more and gaining as much knowledge about the country they love, uh, patriotic Americans, those are the people that should be in government, unfortunately, we are being run by a bunch of ignoramuses that have absolutely no idea what they're doing in there. There's very few of them that actually truly care about uh, the people. A lot of them go out there for photo ops, and I see it from both sides. I see it from Republicans and Democrats. Whenever something happens, they go out there and they take a big photo op. It's like a big joke. So next what I have, uh, he states, and I quote, how can foreign trade be properly regulated by uniform laws without some acquaintance with the commerce, the ports, the usages, and the regulations of the different states? How can the trade between the different states be duly regulated without some knowledge of their relative situation in these and other respects? How can taxes be judiciously imposed and effectually collected if they not be if be not, if they be not accommodated to the different laws and local circumstances relating to these objects in the different states, how can uniform regulations for the military be duly provided without a similar knowledge of many internal circumstances by which the states are distinguished from each other? These are the principal objects of federal legislation and suggest most forcibly the extensive information which the representatives ought to require end quote so there's all these different questions that he really just he runs through all of them how is this supposed to be determined how are we supposed to figure this out how is this all supposed to be done in government uh, from the federal legislative branch if everyone has no clue what's actually going on and the real answer today is uh the staffs of these individuals that are our federal representatives and our legislators they're the ones that handle a lot of this stuff when they hand out a bill that's 500 or 600 pages and it's absolutely absurd do you think every single you think all 435 of our representatives are reading the 500 page bill no it's not happening their staff is reading the bill and then giving them a quick a quick once over giving them giving them the summary so next he goes on he states and i quote a branch of knowledge which belongs to the acquirements of a federal representative and which has not been mentioned is that of foreign affairs. In regulating our own commerce, he ought to be on, not only acquainted with the treaties between the United States and other nations, but also with the commercial policy and laws of other nations. He ought not to be altogether ignorant of the law of nations, for that as far as it is a proper object of municipal legislation is sub submitted to the federal government, end quote. Yeah, I do. What, he, what he's saying is you just want to know everything. Uh, at this time, obviously, law was much simpler than it is now. They purposely make it very complex so the regular citizen cannot read it and understand it and discern it to make your life much more difficult and the elitist snobs can continue to overwhelm you and uh, they can continue their success. And you can't you can't do anything about it really. I think that's why they they make the tax law the way it is. I think there's a lot of laws that are built around the idea of keeping the regular worker and the regular citizen down and keeping them in their in their country clubs, continuing to sip martinis. So he goes on next. He states, and I quote. There are other considerations of less importance, perhaps, but which are not 
unworthy of notice. The distance which many of the representatives will be obliged to travel and the arrangements rendered necessary by that circumstance might be much more serious objections with fit men to this service. If limited to a single year, then if extended to two years, no argument can be drawn on this subject from the case of the delegates to the existing Congress. They are elected annually, it is true, but their re-election is considered by the legislative assemblies almost as a matter of course. End quote. This is very interesting what he's saying. The case of the delegates to the existing. They're elected annually, it is true, but their re-election is considered by the legislative assemblies almost as a matter of course. He's saying this would be more difficult for people that live further away. So if you're in Georgia and they're meeting in, uh, I think it was in Philly they would be meeting at this time because there was no Washington, D.C. I think they would meet in, I forgot the name of the building, uh, Independence Hall, I believe. That's where the Constitution as well as the Declaration of Independence were signed, Independence Hall. I believe that's the name and it's still up and you could still go see it in Philly. If you want had to go meet in Philadelphia and you lived in Georgia, it was a very difficult far commute for you so this would be unfair for them if they ran an annual election i think that's the point that he's saying is by the time you had to go back and forth you wouldn't even know anything it's just if it's limited to one year you're gonna get more serious objections with fit men to this service so people that are fit for the position would not want to do it just because the idea of having it for one year uh the position especially if you're far out in distance so next he goes on he states, and I quote, The election of the representatives by the people will not be governed by the same principle. A few of the members, as happens in all such assemblies, will possess superior talents, will by frequent re-elections become members of long-standing, will be thoroughly masters of the public business, and perhaps not unwilling to avail themselves of those advantages, the greater the proportion of new members and the less the information of the bulk of the members, the more apt will they be to fall into the snares that may be laid for them, end quote. So we're saying the more talented you're gonna have people that are superiors have superior talents they're you know great politicians and they're gonna have the greater the proportion of new members that have less information because of this idea of annual elections are gonna find people that are less apt they're going to fall into the snares that may be laid for them meaning that they'll the superior politicians will take advantage of them and manipulate them so he goes on he states next and i quote this remark is no less applicable to the relation which will subsist between the House of Representatives and the Senate. It is an inconvenience mingled with the advantages of our frequent elections, even in single states where they are large and hold but one legislative session in a year. That spurious elections cannot be investigated and annulled in time for the decision to have its due effect. If a return can be obtained, no matter by what unlawful means, the irregular member who takes his seat, of course, is sure of holding it a sufficient time to answer his purposes. Hence, a very pernicious encouragement is given to the use of unlawful means for obtaining irregular returns." End quote. That's the most important part, the very end that he states. So he's saying you have these these annual elections, a position you don't really hold too long, spurious elections, because you only have these annual uh, year terms. And because of that, it will cause legislators to try to usurp their power 
attempt to abuse their power to hold on to their position in government. They will use unlawful means to obtain these irregular returns. It's an it's a encouragement to do so. It incentivizes it. Which is very uh, interesting that he says that. Because you're only holding that one legislative session per year. Okay, so next... Oh, what's he say? Okay, so he's arguing that the state cannot have the decision made on the winner of the election in a timely manner, rendering an annual term lifeless, is what he talks about earlier. Madison also stresses that some more skilled members will become in longer standing, whereas a greater proportion of new members will have less information attained because of the short term and become more apt to fall into despotic tendencies. Because they don't know anything. It's like when you play... It's like if you're, you're doing jujitsu or you're doing some sort of contact sport. What do you do when you don't know what you're doing? Is you just try to kind of bull your way through it. You try to use aggression to get your way through a uh, physical contact sport when you don't know the fundamental values of the sport. If you know the fundamental values, you can conserve your energy and you can do it the correct way and the more effective way. So he has two more quotes here. His uh, second to last one he states next, and I quote, Were elections for the federal legislature to be annual, this practice might become a very serious abuse, particularly in the more distant states. Each house is, as it necessarily must be, the judge of the elections, qualifications, and returns of its members. And whatever improvements may be suggested by experience for simplifying and accelerating the process in disputed cases, so great a portion of a year would unavoidably elapse before an illegitimate member could be dispossessed of his seat, that the prospect of such an event would be little check to unfair and illicit means of obtaining a seat. End quote. So illicit means illegal, they would try to illegally and unfairly obtain the seat. Uh, so, so what he's what he's trying to say here? He's trying to say if we have, if there's all these issues, you know, since each specific state, each house, uh, each individual state has its own qualifications, judge of the elections, uh, return of its members. If they had annual elections, the problem with that would be. If anything illegitimate happened, they would they would only have a year to fix it, and it would be better to have two year long uh, terms because of that. It would take them a full year to try to fix it and figure it out, and it just would not be enough time. I think that's what he's referring to. That one's a little convoluted, but he ends it in stating this, and I quote: "All these considerations taken together warrant us in affirming the biennial elections will be as useful to the affairs of the public as we have seen that they will be safe to the liberty of the people." End quote. So that's the way he ends it, talking about uh, two an election every two years for the House of Representatives, and I'm not sure what his next one's going to be on the apportionment of members among the states. So it's going to be how many citizens for each house of rep members so that one should be very interesting considering it has changed you know as of in modern times it's many more people to apportionment or else we'd have you know thousands of uh legislatures or thousands of legislators so thank you very much i appreciate everyone for tuning in please drop the mic as in my name mike let people know about the podcast please like share subscribe i'm trying to get the podcast out there to as many people as possible i greatly appreciate you all tuning in 
and I will see you next time. Thank you.